0: Welcome back to another episode of Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Matt Breen and I'm joined today by Scott
1: Lauber and Bob Brookover
0: Guys, once again, we watched a, uh, an old classic Phillies game. There's no live Phillies games to watch, but well, we're still getting our baseball fix. We, we dug back into YouTube and came up with a game that, that I, I think after watching it and, and thinking about it, that this is probably the most, not only is the most important Phillies game of all time, but I think we can make the argument on this podcast. It's the best Phillies game of all time. And it was the 1981 National League Championship Series. Game five of five game series in Houston. The Astrodome against Nolan Ryan. It just, just an incredible game. And wh- wh- why it's the most important game is because to me, 1950 Kids win the pennant. The rest of the 50s, the Phillies pretty much stink. 1960s they're pretty terrible besides 64 when, when they break your heart early seventies, they're terrible. Then they, they get good in the late seventies. What do they do? They break your heart again. And then here they are 1980, this great error of Phillies history. Finally is going to get to the cusp. They have to get through Nolan Ryan in the Astrodome, just, just such an important game for the city, for the fan base and for this, this team. And I was just blown away watching it last night.
2: Yeah. Um, yesterday, Matt, when we decided to, uh, to pick this game you you pose the question is this the most important game in philly's history and um you know the only game that i have anywhere close to it is is the last game of the 1950 season because if they don't win well i you know and and this let me just say this beats that because if they don't win that that last game in 1950 they get a play-in game with with the dodgers it's not over um there would have been a tomorrow um but you know that game to end the 1950 season is huge because imagine if they don't get to the world series in 1950, now you're talking about a, um, a gap from 1915 until 1976, right. Where they don't make the playoffs. Um, who knows if the franchise even survives, uh, survives in Philadelphia, any number of things could happen if the whiz kids don't come along, uh, even, even that one year flash that they were, but you know, this is the biggest game because, um, for me, this 1980 game, because uh, this team would have been broken up. Um, you know, I was, I'll I'll plug it because it's coming out in a couple of weeks, but I, I wrote a book last year called The Big 50 Phillies, and it's about 50 people and moments and games that define the franchise, and when I was writing about the 1980 season, um, you know, a few people told me, Bob Boone I think was the first to tell me that um, had they not won the World Series in 1980, he, he's pretty sure that they would have broken up that team. At least some of the members of that team wouldn't have been back in, in 81. And um, I got around to talking to Larry Boa about it. And I brought that up to him and he said, Oh, there was there no, maybe about it. It would have been Rully Carpenter told him directly uh, before that season started. Like, look, I love you guys, but if you don't get over the hump this year, we're going to have to make changes. And uh, if they don't win uh, game five against the Astros, the season's over and that team gets, gets broken up so um, as opposed to winning the first World Series in franchise history. So hard to beat uh, that in terms of stakes and level of importance. And, and I can speak to it somewhat of from a – well, not
1: somewhat, a, a, absolutely from like a fan standpoint because my father had lived through 64 uh, and it was all he ever talked about was the 64 season and how that broke his heart. Uh, you know he was at, at that time like a 30 year old man and it, it just stuck with him forever i w- i was 1 years old but you know the you know the phillies from those 76 77 78 and even 75 they were good they were so bad for so long that you didn't even really pay attention to them um but by 80 you know this was the team that everybody thought i was a senior in high school uh you know you thought this is going to be the team that that finally does it but that series it, 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 you know it, maybe you can just find it as the greatest game ever game 5 and, and and most important game in philly's history i think that's fair but the series itself was just a, a such an emotional roller coaster from start to finish Four i mean the last four games all went extra innings i, I was as we prepared for this i was talking to matt yesterday it's gotten I told him, I, I think I t- shot off the TV like, or walked away from the TV like six times and just couldn't even watch anymore because like, I couldn't believe yeah. that this game was falling apart. When it got to 5-2, I was like, oh, this is just done. You know, I was, I was a typical Phillies fan. This is over. You know, a lot of the Phillies people are saying, no, we still thought we were going to win. But if you were a Phillies fan, you absolutely didn't think they were going to win because this was what they had done your entire lifetime. So it, it, was, it was such an incredible game for the fan base. Um, And I think you can see we'll come back to the postgame stuff later, but you could see it in the postgame how relieved that team was. You know, it was like it was not like they had won the World Series, but it was like all that pressure came off their back that they had gotten there. And they were like, you know, we had never been able to get there. This is all gone. You could hear it. In that clubhouse after the game.
2: Yeah. So, I, you know, a, a number of guys on that team told me that when I was working on this book that, like, you know, it, th- that was exactly what they said that the weight was lifted, the pressure was off. Um, here you are going to the World Series um, for the first time in 30 years as a franchise, for the first time ever for a lot of these players. And uh, it was almost like there was no pressure on them anymore whatsoever because they won. Uh, they won in the NLCS and they moved on after losing in 77, 78, 76, 77, and 78. And I thought, you know, you get to the seventh inning of the game and it's 2-2, the Astros had just tied it, and McCarver comes into the booth for the first time, literally comes basically off the field and into the booth because he, he played for the Phillies on October 5th of that year. And here he is. Um, and he, he, had a, he had a line to, to, to Whitey. He said, these championship series are, are inhuman. And he starts referring to Black Friday again and, and how hard that was to get over. And I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, could we be more fatalistic? But obviously that, that was the mood. The Astros had just tied the game, and you're thinking, and they're about to go ahead 5-2 in that inning. And you're thinking, oh, my God, here we go again. And You, you were thinking it from the start because you, the Phillies
1: were sending Marty Bystrom, who had pitched six games in his career in the big leagues to the mound against Noel Ryan. You know, like, Right. Okay, yeah, we're bringing a sword to a gunfight, you know.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh, a lot of so you, you you thought it from the beginning. So many big moments. I think we have to start with at the top with the maybe the most important part of this: Richie Ashburn's hat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those were classic whitey hats. That was right like there. incredible all that hat, the though.
2: time. All I uh, um... I was disappointed he didn't have the pipe going right from the beginning. <laughs> I'm sure he did I mean, on he's...
0: radio during that
2: game. Yeah,
1: I just I, I marveled at Whitey's preparation for these things because he just said whatever came out of his mouth.
2: He sure did, and it was a pretty long <laughs> preamble too. Oh
1: uh, well, let's 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 just go to. I'm gonna we're gonna give you guys a little quiz here. <laughs> Who did Bill Verdon remind
2: uh, Richie Ashburn of?
1: Was that a school teacher? The te- the oh, this,
2: oh, yeah. Uh, I have her name. I have her name. Hang on. Hang on. Lillian Wadsworth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sixth grade English teacher, Lillian Wadsworth. I, felt... I thought Harry, Harry should have followed up with, I yeah. guess if you're not in the middle of such an important game, you would have
2: said, Tell me more. Why do you tell me more? That's, what I, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. Harry had nothing there. It was like, Hey, she reminds me of my sixth grade teacher. And Harry's like, What's, What was her name? And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, good, this is going to get good. And he goes, Lillian Wadsworth, and Harry's like, oh, all right, moving on. <laughs> Harry, Harry had to think, you know, maybe this game is a little too important for
0: Lillian to to duck her head into it.
2: <laughs> oh, it was great though.
0: It was classic. classic. The uh, the one play that always gets talked about, the Manny trio throw at home, yep. the, the relay from Paige McBride, and I was reading the Daily News from the next day last night, and um. They actually had practiced that throw. They had an off day in Houston that during the series. Bake McBride practiced, digging a ball out from the corner, throwing it to Manny Trio, and over and over again. But Trio kept throwing to third base. And then Bake said to Trio, why don't you try throwing home on, for, you know, to practice that? He said, no, I know I can do that. We don't need to practice it. And there, there it is. It's a, the, one of the biggest moments in the game. And it's just an incredible, every every piece of that throw is perfect. And and they didn't even practice it.
1: The the one thing I'm thinking though, is it it, it was an incredible throw. It was an incredible play by McBride too. And an incredible tag by Boone. The one thing I kept thinking over and over, they had two plays at the plate. They cut down two runs or that game doesn't continue. Um, But on both of them, neither play would be legal today because you're not allowed to block the plate anymore. (laughs) You're right. And they were, and they were just, and he got, and Boone got spiked. if you you go back to the thing, apparently he was in a lot of pain after that game. He never makes it to the interview room because he had been spiked so bad. He actually went to the
0: hospital after the game to get x-rays.
1: Wow. It's, wow. it's a, it's a, um, it, it, those were incredible plays that the Phillies played except for Luzinski's play in, in left field. Um, you know, they played incredible defense trio makes the bad throw and gets an arrow on that play that they Pete Rose throws the guy out at home plate, but it's, you know the de- the defense in that game was terrific.
0: Just such a heads up play, the throw that Pete Rose made at home. To see that guy that was, running and the turn and throw, and then Boone again. Was with the ag on that. Was, that was on Pete.
2: It was. And go ahead. and I'll say, you know, I mean, we're talking about a guy who really hadn't played a whole lot of first base until 1979. Um, when I, I I'll come back to it again cuz uh, cuz I want to plug this book but when I was working on this book um which is due out on April 21st you know I talked to Pete and he was talking about how proud he was um of of the work he put in in the in the spring training of 79 to be a good first baseman and I mean here we are almost you know we're 41 years after that after him joining the Phillies and he still doesn't think he gets the credit for being a good first baseman. Um, maybe that's Pete being Pete, but, um, you know, and, and sort of, um, uh, you know, his own version of things, but yeah, I mean, he talked about how he get to spring training early in 79 and, you know, before the sun came up and worked with Lee Elia on digging out throws and kind of learning the position. And he, he makes that play instinctively like he's been a first baseman his whole life. Well, I'll, I'll add to this, but before I do,
1: Scott, when's your book come out?
2: April twenty-first.
1: Okay, I just want to. Available sure. at uh, for pre-order now. You book coming out, Scott. Noble. I do, as a matter of fact, yeah. <laughs> All right, be- be- before we get more about your book, because I want to know more about your book. Uh, um, it, I can add to that because I interviewed Willie Carpenter a couple of years ago when when Pete was supposed to get into the wall of fame um which of course he messed that up but
2: yeah
1: uh, people might not not have messed up many plays at first base but he messed up lots of stuff after that um but anyway so really really said one day it was like about two hours three hours after everybody left the ballpark he he would look down uh on the field he walked out and he saw this guy in a suit and tie throwing a ball in the Doing bur- balls in the dirt row and Pete at first base. And everybody had been gone for like hours. And there was Pete. And he said his biggest concern going into the season was whether Pete could play first base. And he's like watching him. He's like, okay, I guess Pete's going to be okay
2: at first base. Yeah. So while we're on Pete Rose, um, you know, I read something during the playoffs last year about Juan Soto and his theatrical way of taking pitches uh, and how that's sort of a fun to watch in and of itself. Like, Pete, Did anyone take a pitch better than Pete Rose? I mean, like you know, he looks it right into the glove and kind of hops, like he's so proud that, yep. that, you know, it was in fact a ball. His his takes were awesome. Pete was very. I want his bases walk
0: against. Uh, we're jumping Ugh. forward here, but uh, against Ryan, right. it's Ryan's last batter. And he throws the bat. He pretty much runs in front of Nolan Ryan on his way to first base, stares at him. It's like, <laughs> just yeah, the emotion it was a is amazing. Walk. Yeah, and, and and before that, when he made an app yes.
1: he, he ran by
0: Pete and he flips his bat. <laughs> I mean, he ran by Ryan and flipped his bat across to the dugout. And every time that was last out of first base, spikes the ball in the turf. Oh, yeah, love it. That was Pete. That was Pete. He was
1: the, oh, he was made for Philadelphia. He really was. And and just a uh, sign even of though time. He played most of his career in Cincinnati. he, he was a, if he had been a Philly, he would have his whole life they would well they they already do but even more they would idolize him
0: there's no this game was on phl 17 in philly but it was also on abc and it just to me that's like so weird that there was two local broadcasts of the same se- of the nlcs now it's like you know you get to the playoffs and every game's on national tv it's on local radio and it's just you know you think about it you could have watched this game on two channels there- there was a weird, a lot of weird things
1: about the broadcast. I mean, dude, the way the Phillies did things. Then Harry and Whitey did the first three innings, and then in comes Andy and Buster, and he does it for three innings. And now here comes uh, Tim McCarver. McCarver and, for and, a cameo and, and, in and, the seventh. And Whitey doing play by yes. play. Yes. And then it's like I was like, who's going to do the tenth inning? Do they? Do they, <laughs> do they? Like, how does this work? You know. And and then at the end. We don't see Chris Wheeler the whole time, but then Chris Wheeler is the final interview of the, of all the post game. interviews. Right. <laughs> it was just really, really odd. Yeah, was wheels
0: doing radio um,
1: or like, where uh, was he, he hiding? He did, he did he did radio then. Okay. Yeah. But the radio, if you would listen to the radio broadcast, that you were getting the same type of thing. You were getting a rotation, this, you know, rotation of, you know, and they did it for a long time. I mean, it, even into the, I think even into the 2000s, Definitely. They, you know, cause Harry, they, radio insisted on Harry doing at least one inning of radio, you know, it's, it's a really, even now what they, the Phillies do on radio with uh, Jim Jackson is a little different than they do it anywhere else.
2: Yeah. The middle innings there, Um, you know, um, it's funny because it it is so strange, especially now uh, to see a local broadcast of a playoff game like this, you expect now, you know, in a game of this magnitude, you just expect that Joe Bucks going to be doing the game you know like uh, the local guys go away and it becomes the national guys and you know where where it was super weird for me was you know every inning you know the playoff payoff Joe Nadler, <laughs> Brigantine New Jersey and and then we have a winner blinking on the screen and it's like bucks. you know this is stuff that 500 bucks this is stuff that <laughs> it is <laughs> but that's like straight That's like straight out of you know June, uh, (laughs) June game in the middle of nowhere. You know, um, that's the stuff you do. Like you don't do that in October in the middle of a do or die playoff game. You know, it was just so foreign to me that. Hey, welcome back, welcome back, Potter Zone
1: on Wednesday night from five to six.
0: Barney, Barney Miller on Channel
2: (laughs) Seventeen. Barney Miller, one hit after another. During Hal Linden. (laughs) <laughs> there was there was one inning. I, I think it was the it was late um uh, because Whitey it was the inning Whitey did the play by play, uh where whatever the tease was for the the show that was coming up, he did not read it. Like it was on the screen. Uh somebody was warming up, uh Pitcher was warming up and the 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 whole thing's on the screen and he just let it go. <laughs> like he did not like he was he was either like, This is ridiculous or I'm not gonna bother myself with this because it's the eighth inning of a of, of the most important game in franchise history. But, like, he just let it – it just – it appeared on the screen, and then it disappeared. I suspect
1: he just didn't care. Like, he, he had one point where there was a – somebody had hit, and
2: he's like, and he's probably hitting fourth now. Uh, who cares? <laughs> well, who was the uh, – there was a guy from the Astros who comes in the game. The Gary late. Woods. The Gary the, Woods, and they didn't even they, know he was in the, in the game. He's still in the game. Why do
1: you used to do that all the time? He, he, he was – Harry would say something, you know, and, and Whitey would say, well, they ought to bring in such and such now. And Whitey would be like, yeah, Richie, they sent him down about a week ago. Goes, they did. Why'd they do that?
2: Now, <laughs> that was... another, uh, another awesome example of just what I thought was total, like, fatalistic. They're going to lose. So they come back uh, for the start of the eighth inning after the Astros go up 5-2. And Harry comes back in the booth and, you know, this is like this is this is this is it. It's 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 over, right? Surely it's over because Ryan's back on the mound and Harry just goes. Ryan has some sort of phenomenal record with a lead in the eighth. I don't remember the stat, but it's phenomenal. And it was like I was like, this is Harry Doyle from Major <laughs> League. Like nobody's listening. Anyway, and he kept giving the wrong know?
1: stat. It was actually like one hundred and twelve and three. Was he never gave the stat? He never, well, right? he, he said he kept saying one twelve out of one nineteen. And, and it was actually 112 out of 115 was the stat. He, he with the eighth inning, he was 112 and three going to the lead with the lead in the eighth inning. It, yeah, but he just no, he was he just it, 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 was, it was great. And, it, it, and in, was fairness, like, where's the in fairness to, to him, yeah, those kinds of things just weren't as readily available as they are today. You know, right. they're just it's not, yeah, I'm sure if it was on his notes, he would have looked it
0: up, but he it was something he had read. And he didn't have it in front of him at that point,
1: so, we have to
0: was, lay out why why this game was so great and I, I think Scott had hinted at it with what happened in that seventh inning. they just a complete meltdown by the Phillies, and if you're watching this game without any context and knowing what's going to happen, the game's over right there and Bob I'm sure that's that's probably one of those times you turned it off in and, and the bottom yeah of the i walk i
1: I walked out. I can remember Brenda Anderson's house in Riverside, New Jersey. <laughs> we were having a little watch party, and I was like, "That's it." I walked out the door, and uh, like, I, I went and had my seventeen-year-old beer, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and like, I can't watch this anymore. And about twenty minutes later, I went back, and like, oh, 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 they take the lead. Okay, I can watch now. And then, they, and then I walked out again when they tied it, and I was a mess.
2: <laughs> so you weren't refreshing Twitter.
1: I wasn't was refreshing
0: Twitter. No, I just, I just couldn't watch. It was just – it was too painful. It was too painful. Just so. the, the way that that game turned, that, you know, the Astrodome's rocking in the bottom of the seventh, game's over, and then that quick, and, the, and Nolan Ryan's still in the game, and he's throwing – I love the way that they describe Nolan Ryan, 100 MPH. It was, like, so foreign yes. that a guy threw 100 miles per hour that they didn't even know how to even say it. Well, and it still is even today. He was throwing a hundred in the, in the
1: eighth inning. I mean, it was, you know, not not many guys can keep that up into the eighth inning. The guys do do it now, but there's still he's still a freak of nature then, and it'd still be a freak of nature today. The way he, the way he threw coming, you know, I know you guys think Will Chamberlain wasn't very good, but <laughs> never said that. <laughs> <laughs> only every, only every other day during
0: the season. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: you're, you've you've been outed. Is Wilt Chamberlain? Is he the guy who did that two-handed bounce pass?
1: He that's that's it? him. Yeah, he did. first man to drill bas- with his left hand.
0: He he actually cut through the peach basket <laughs> so the ball would actually fall through. He he said we ought to put a hole in this. Thing. Um, but the, so you have Nolan Ryan on the mound throwing 100 mph, and, and they just as quick as that game was over, the Phillies jumped him. It was a, it was a hit a bunt single and a walk to load the bases. It was
2: a, uh, it was a single. single.
0: If you go back, I mean, he told the story
1: differently after the game, but he's told me the story many times. He said, yeah, Pete told him, You get a hit to start the scenic, we win this game. And he he said yeah. he has said to me before. And I'm sure you're in that book. That, when does it come out, It's kind of... it's, it's in that <laughs> book. It's, it's called the book, Big yeah. Fifty
2: Philadelphia and, Phillies, and it comes out on April
0: 21st. And,
1: but you can you can pre-order it now. And and Boas says, you know, and I got the hit, we won the
2: game. Pete was right. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, so it's it's a Boas single, um, then it's a Boone uh, single off of Ryan's a glove. Great Greg Gross, gross Bunt. And then it's a great Greg Gross Bunt. And It's funny because I had to look it up. I said, because if this game was being played now, we would talk about uh, Ryan and his pitch count and where that was. They never mentioned it uh, on the broadcast, but uh, he finished with 106 pitches. Um, The Boas single, the Boone single, and the the gross bunt occur in a span of three pitches. So, you know, Boas said to me, he's like, even now he thinks back and he's like, well, why didn't Verdon have somebody up? Um, that's a fair question because Ryan was over 100 pitches to start the inning, but it's Nolan Ryan. And, and,
1: and Nolan, hey. how, many, how many times did Nolan Ryan throw 100? Yeah, 30 pitches in his like, sleep. But but <laughs> the funny thing is he had Ken Forschup up in the first and second innings of that game.
2: Right, <laughs> right. So there was urgency early, and then there was faith in Ryan late, and it happens so fast. So they don't have anybody warming to start the eighth inning. Then it's three pitches, and all of a sudden the bases are loaded, and. And the Astros are in trouble. Um, and then he walks, and then throws and it's five three, and off they go. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, the question of why Verdon didn't have anybody up is
0: probably a legitimate and fair question. And then you have Mike Schmidt striking out with two to make the second out of that inning. With the was it the tying run at third base, and that there again is that that game's over there. Yeah, Schmidt
1: Schmidt's post game was the most thoughtful of everybody. No doubt, talked about. How everybody, you know, contributed, and he really didn't contribute in that game, and it was it was a very thoughtful post game, uh, even though it ended with his wife handing Harry some champagne that he guzzled down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wh- wh- one one point I wanted to make before we, we we move on is one of the great quotes after the game. It wasn't said in the post game thing, but Pete said it in, in the clips I read about. I'm not sure the best team. One, which is quite a thing to say, and the Phillies were obviously very complimentary of the Astros for for good reason. And but he might have been right that the best team to win. I mean, the Phillies were lucky in a lot of ways in that series. One is Cesar Cedeno, who right. wasn't at the height of his career at that point, but had had a great season. Broke his ankle in Game Three. Um, just that's got to be a devastating loss for the Astros. And also, Nolan Ryan wasn't even the best pitcher on his team at that time. Best pitcher on his team was J.R. Richard. He was, yeah. lost for the rest of his career to a stroke that year. Um, you know, so the Astros really might have been the better team, and they were really banged up. Um, and, you know, but they were, they were a terrific team anyway, Terry Poole. They would gush about Terry Poole in that, that locker room after the, that clubhouse, in the Phillies clubhouse after the game.
2: As they should have. I mean, I just wrote Terry Poole, mercy. I mean, every time he came up, it was another hit, another hit. He had, what, five hits in the game? Yeah. Um. You know. So four, four for six. He went. Yeah. Well, four, um. You know. And he hit that last that bat. He hit the ball hard. He hit it to center field. So he did. Um. Yeah. I mean, Terry Poole just killed him. Um. You know. But yeah. Um. You know, Schmidt strikes out, and then Del Unser comes up, and biggest hit of his career. Um. At least until the next hit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he hit, know, the He had big inning. hits in the
1: World Series too. He... Yeah. Yeah. He 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 was clutch that whole
2: year. Yep. That, one of
1: the great things about that Phillies team is that it had such a good bench. I mean, it, it was a terrific, terrific bench with Unser and, and Gross, both great bench players. Moreland played great off the bench that year. He had, I think he hit over, he might, and I think he hit over three hundred that year off the bench. And Lonnie Smith was obviously a player you could you're going to play in left field when when Luzinski comes out of a game. Uh, it, it was really just a deep, deep bench. One of the, one of the uh, other things that was that struck me early on in that game, and he's not even in the game late, is Joe Morgan playing against Pete Rose in this game. Yeah, uh, And, and I, you know, I remember Joe Morgan. It, it made me go back and look up Joe Morgan, 1983, when he was part of the Phillies NLC, uh, National League Championship team. And he didn't have a great year. He only hit 230 that year. But when I went back and looked at it, I was like, oh, my – well, he did two things. He carried that team in September. The last month yeah. we of the season, he hit like 340 and had like a 1000 OPS. But he actually had a pretty good year that year in '83 when all the numbers were said and done. He had it, even though he hit 230, hit had like a 370 on base percentage. He had 16 home runs, like 70 RBIs, and like a, 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 a 800 OPS. He was better than I remembered. In his late Sh- stages of his career,
2: so three Hall of Famers in this game: Schmidt, Morgan, Ryan, Schmidt, and Carlton, and Carlton. Uh, well, he, did, he, did, he, he, didn't, he didn't play, didn't in that play game. but was on the roster, right? Um, right. Um, that sounds. That sounds right. You know, and obviously, Pete, if if <laughs> things hadn't right. taken the turn that they did, was Hallworthy. worthy. Um, the other thing that struck me was how many uh, future managers were playing in this game. You had, you had. Uh or we're, were on rosters. You had Rose, Bochi, Art Howe, Larry Boa, Bob Boone. I might be forgetting some, but um lots of lots
0: of future managers. Yeah, um, I didn't know Art had, like anything about Art Howe's career until I watched this game. I just knew him as the manager of the A's and the Mets when I was a kid. He's a good player, right? Art Howe was yeah, a very yeah. good player. <laughs> there's Art Howe. Ver- ver- very
1: versatile could play a lot of different positions. Um the Astros had a ton of good players at that time. They really did. They had great pitching. Uh, just Sambito was a terrific pitcher. Um,
2: yep.
0: So Manny Trio hits the triple. The Phillies are winning. Game. The game was over, and that now they're winning seven to five. Suddenly, but Tug McGraw coming in the eighth, and and he blows the lead. But why? Why was why was he even pitching the eighth inning?
1: Well, I, I, because that's something that green would do often it, it would, the, the standard closer that came in later was not in place yet that the closer could pitch eight sometimes seventh eighth and ninth innings it just was the norm of the day at that time uh, both him and Ron Reed were used in that in that respect um, so it it wasn't unusual for that to happen the amazing the, the thing is they kept referring to that during the broadcast is that Tug pitched in all five of those games yeah. and you know there were a lot of accounts that oh Tug was just Tired, but you know what? He gave up a broken bat single to start the inning, I think, or to, for the first hit of the inning, and he gave up a bloop single to allow the the, the um, tying run to score. It wasn't as if he had thrown that bad. The one thing – I'd actually made note of this. The one thing that uh, Richie Ashburn kept referring to, he wasn't throwing a screwball. He wasn't throwing a screwball. Yes. And I wonder if that was the pitch – maybe he was a little arm-weary, and that was a pitch he just – couldn't throw at that time; that his arm was too tired to throw the screwball, which is a an exhausting pitch. But the other thing I, it made me think was, whatever happened to the screwball? Yeah, why
2: doesn't anyone throw that anymore? <laughs>
1: Nobody ever throws it. I mean, and the best two I remember are, you know, everybody talks about Carl Hubbell. I didn't, I didn't see him. Brain, said so
2: before you. I, know I want to be. I want to be preemptive. Uh, so in his prime, you didn't uh, see him in his prime. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: Okay. 21st, right? Right, oh yeah, uh, April twenty first, right? yeah, April twenty first. Okay. Fernando Valenzuela and Tug were the best screwballs that I ever saw. Um, yeah, no, I wrote, uh, I wrote a note that Ruthven was warming in the fourth, and I wrote, didn't he pitch the tenth? <laughs> and it just was like, he he was warming in the fourth, and then he was warming a little later, and then I mean, how many times did he get up that night, and how many pitches did he throw, including pitches in the bullpen? It was that was insane. And then at one point, I saw him walking through the dugout in his in, like in a warm-up jacket. Dick Ruthven was literally everywhere. Did not uh, didn't
0: Gabe... <laughs> that night?
1: And he was supposed to pitch Game One of the World Series didn't before Gabe that. So.
0: Say I'm not Dallas Effing Green. It kind of sounds like he was. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: That's funny. Hobie Milner and and yeah. uh, Dick Ruthven are are uh, kindred spirits, right?
0: So they blow the lead. And now the game is, it's over again, it, but it's tied, but it's in, it's on, they're on the road and the team, they come back in the 10th, Gary Maddox with the game winning hit, but it comes back to Dell Unser getting on with the double one out double after Schmidt strikes out Dell Unser, just like you, you talk about these un, unheralded heroes of this team and, and just watching that game, that guy, you know, really stands out Two two of the biggest hits in the game coming off the bench. Del Del is really an unheralded person in in this organization's history. In, in,
1: in my mind, I mean, he, he obviously played a huge role in, in that World Series, but then he goes on to become the farm director in Philadelphia. He was a scout, an air, uh, pro scout for for years and years and years. He he's really um, underappreciated uh, and underrated as a as a Philly, you know, a, a lifelong Philly. Uh, he just retired a few years ago, and they did have a little ceremony for him. But he and, and he, I know Dell pretty well. He, you know, he he did not want to be in the limelight. He was not the type of person who ever wanted to Bob. be in the limelight. But uh, but there's a great quote Bob, from can you, you repeat, yeah. Can you hear me? Repeat that. I was losing you. Okay. Um, yeah, Dell answered to me was is one of the really underrated and underappreciated Phillies of all time. You know, not only was he great in that series, and not only. Uh, he was he, he had a great career for, um, for them as a pinch hitter and as an extra guy, and then he went on to become a farm director. He went on he was a pro scout forever. Just retired a few years ago after I forget exactly how many years, but he was also a very unassuming guy. So I'm sure he didn't mind not being in the limelight. But I, I think he was an underappreciated guy in Philly's history. Did you talk to him at all? And all seriousness, Scott,
2: for for that book you're doing, did you talk to Dell at all? I didn't. I wish I had. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's a there's a list of people who, like, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't get to. But yeah, no. Uh, I mean, you're right about some of those huge moments that he had. It's kind of like, you know, I guess to take it to like a contemporary, you know, Phillies fan uh a younger Phillies fan I don't know you think of the role that guys like Matt Stairs played right in, in 08 or, or Greg Dobbs I mean that's uncertain and Gross on the 1980 team you know guys who are just um uh, really really good players who could come off the bench and get you a big hit in a, in a huge moment um what about you know
1: let, let, let me just add one thing there about Del I'm just seeing this seeing this now he was 35 years old he had never been to the post and read a quote from him after the, the game about how you know he, he was he was at the end of his career and Paul Owens took a chance on him and how thankful he was, but that was his only postseason. And in that postseason, he went five for eleven uh, in the playoffs and World Series with four runs scored, three doubles, and three RBIs.
2: <laughs> and I thought his post game interview too with I think it was with Harry. Yeah. Um, you know it, it was it, it was totally a guy who kind of had it in perspective. I thought. You know, he might have even said uh, it's the biggest moment of my career um, or it's the best thing I'll ever do as a baseball player. He said something to that effect, and, and I was like, okay, you know, somebody who kind of got it, you know, for sure. Like, he wasn't taking this for granted at all, not that any of them I, I don't think were after, you know, all their near misses in the late 70s, but he just seemed to, like, completely understand what he had just done and, and the the magnitude of that moment for the Phillies.
0: It was pure. And class, the game winning sure. hit comes to Gary Maddox and then, and then so you know, the Phillies are now winning and then they close it out in the ninth. Gary Maddox makes the last out in center field, gets carried off the field. And it was a neat moment because Dallas Green is is one of the guys carrying Gary Maddox off the field. And yes. obviously, you know, as you guys know that and maybe you can even add more to this than the one I know that you know they they were kind of at odds towards the end of that season.
2: Hey, go ahead, Scott. No, definitely they were. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a point where uh, they had a Maddox had a, uh, they called a team meeting and Maddox nominated Luzinski to go in and talk to Dallas Green. And that didn't go very well. Um, yeah, I mean, Maddox was certainly not a guy who was high on, on Dallas Green's list that year. Um, uh, and, you know, there was some poetic justice, I guess, in, in that moment in him getting carried off the field. And, and, um, you Know and being sort of the guy who gets the, the big hit at the end, and 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 he had had some some difficult uh post seasons
1: before that, uh, which was also just a big part of the thing. And and he Maddox is just another guy who was pure class. I mean, he you know, and and even watching that game, watching Gary Maddox run down a fly ball was it was poetry in motion. He was, you know, obviously the, the famous quote is two thirds of theirs covered by. Water right. and the other one, third by Gary Maddox, but just watching him, even you know, and, and at that point he was in the later parts of his career. Um, you know, he, he just was effortless in trying and going and getting a ball. And he, you know, he was he he was the guy who misplayed Dusty Baker's ball in the to yes. you know, Black Friday, uh, which you know if it's, Gary Maddox misplaying a ball. There's the way to to lose
0: a game was very low on any list. So the Phillies win, Gary Maddox getting carried off the field. It's all on the front page of the Daily News that Monday morning with the headline. It's just, wow, exclamation point. And it's Gary Maddox underneath it being carried off the field. And it's just like it's such a perfect back page. It's just, I mean, a front page. It's just, wow, because really the, the game is, What what else do you have to say besides that game, that moment, and then – as we're watching, this is the great thing about YouTube is that you, you get more than the game. You get to go to the clubhouse afterwards with the post-game celebration. And
2: my favorite – So so wait, yeah. before we get to that because we're going to spend time on the post-game. But So the last out – okay, so the last pitch, as it's being released, McCarver with one of the most bizarre lines ever. If he takes this, I'll buy you a Mazda. <laughs> he
0: must but, have been getting sponsored. Yes. Then
2: the ball – yeah Then the ball he, gets because C- Zenus Cabell is like a free swinger, so right? <laughs> just but like
0: but okay, yeah, he why gets very Mazda? specific
2: with the Mazda. Yeah. Then then the ball hit gets hit to center field. That uh, Maddox catches it, and so I thought, okay. So for a guy who I mentioned, you know, literally basically came right off the field and into the broadcast booth, what a week earlier or two weeks earlier, I thought McCarver was pretty good. Yeah, you're, However, I'm glad you brought <laughs> this up. That's exactly what it is, Bob. You can't hear Harry Cowson call. The hysterical laughter. I mean it's, it's so awkward. I am I'm, I'm I'm sitting there watching going can somebody just grab the microphone and throw it somewhere so that he can't do this. He it ruins the call. It ruins yeah, the no final call. call. It's just him
1: laughing.
2: <laughs> My thought as a marching out is
1: I'm guessing when he went for those big national jobs, he didn't send no. that in his, his interview,
0: <laughs>
2: Wow. Yeah. He didn't know about
0: the cough. Button. I mean, yeah. so I was –
2: I was going to – Yeah, I was going to be really complimentary of him. I thought, I thought he was good in the seventh inning. I thought he – was, had this ability to put things into perspective. I thought his it, back and forth with, with Whitey was good in that inning, with Whitey saying, like, you had a great career, Tim. Too bad you didn't realize it was over a couple of years ago. That was definitely- I, mean, <laughs> great line. I mean, there was good stuff there. And then
0: the laughter just completely ruins it. But we will give him a break. <laughs> like you said, he was playing that season. He's a future Hall of Fame broadcaster. He, he just was not – in that moment, yes. he was not a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And, and while we're on that, real quick right. – It's just amazing. Richie Ashburn is remembered more for being a broadcaster in this town, but he's a hall of fame player who then, and then you see him as a broadcaster doing play-by-play, doing color, switching both. And then after the game, doing interviews in the clubhouse. it's like this, these types of things will never happen again where a hall of fame player transitions into this, this role. It's just, well, and 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 you left that
1: one
2: other thing he was doing. He was enjoying that champagne in that club. sure was <laughs> one other thing.
1: That it, it coming to me yet? Nope.
2: One other thing. I need <laughs> I need a ruling from Matt
0: on this. He's our uniform expert. Astros rainbow colors. Thumbs up or thumbs uh, down? Oh, thumbs up. That's this is a th- a double thumbs up uniform game. Powder blue versus the yeah. rainbow with the orange hat. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna go halfies with you there. I can. I,
1: I'm oh, I actually don't even like the Phillies powder blue that much. I was really happy when they switched out of the powder blue to the grays, uh, that the grays with the P on it. Not so much the grays they 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 wear today, but I love the grays when they tr- switched to that and like like that much better. And that Astros uniform, I'm a child <laughs> of the '70s. They were awful, just awful. I mean, it's like it made you think, why did they even have this? Also,
2: so Matt, this is bothering me the whole game. Uh, you'd be the guy to ask. So, the the powder blues, buttons or zipper? There's a zipper, they had had
0: zippers until like uh, I think like maybe like '83. They they switched back to buttons, but they when they switched these uniforms, they were zippers. Uh, I'm guessing in '80, they were still zippers, but then they did wear buttons with them at one point, too. Because it looked like a zipper, it, and
2: also, like, what's this ma- – I feel like George Costanza here. What's this made out of? Like, was there was, like, a satin kind of shine to those uniforms. Polyester. Okay.
0: So – How about those jackets? Yeah. We yeah. talked about the starter jackets last week on the in 93, but these jackets, these track jackets. And then I, I yeah. was reading ahead in the clips before game one of the 80 World Series, they had – they got – every player got these Adidas track suits with the World Series logo on them. I need to find one of these because these jackets were awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm going to add this about uniforms. Astros, 70s uniforms. No. Oakland A's. Definitely. Yes. And Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh Pirates. The the year they came out with 18 different combinations was the greatest Mm -hmm. uniform Unveiling ever
2: in all time all so any awesome. sport anywhere. Matt, Matt you mentioned uh, Lem- Mark Lemke last week in the '93 <laughs> uh, game with the hat under the helmet. That was everybody in this game, basically. And you don't see guys choke up on the bat anymore, that. like Boa and Pete Rose. Yep. You really don't. It made me think. Really, Boa's was really he was like holding
1: exactly. mean, it was like halfway uh, up the uh, bat. But yeah, well, the the, big, and the the person I actually looked him up to look at his career online was Felix Mignon. How, how far he choked up. Uh, Felix Mion played for the Mets, was like halfway up.
0: He really was literally halfway up the yeah. bat.
1: Yeah. Well, well let's, let's, let's talk about the post game a little it. bit yeah, more. The best, so
0: it opens up with uh, Larry, Bo- they're, they're like hyping it up. Like, we're going to go to the clubhouse and they show a shot of Boa standing on stage with Ashburn and Boa hands at, but they're not talking yet. They don't know they're on camera. Boa hands Ashburn the bottle Ashburn, a working broadcaster at the time, swings the (laughs) bottle, passes it back to Boa, and then they start their interview. Yes. An appropriate tone setter
2: for what comes Before we
1: move forward, one other thing that McCarver added right after his laughter was that he knew Dick Ruth was going to pitch well that day because (laughs) he had bad breath.
2: (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Dick Ruthven just uh just um telling he uh, he's walking off the stage and he tells Paul Owens thank you for getting me out of atlanta i thought was a really was a kind of a funny line um uh,
0: harry Callis just great. Don, anybody Don, could talk to
2: <laughs> and
1: anybody well yes and at one point he's he's really wants greg luzinski he's looking for greg luzinski but he can't get greg luzinski <laughs> so he settles for Clubhouse guy Kenny Bush and Pete Serra the, the, the two clubhouse guys and if they make a movie about the 1980 Phillies, who plays who plays Kenny Bush? I... Well, of course it has to be Bill Murray <laughs> recreating his Carl Spackler <laughs> candidate. because at one point Harry says, so you were around in 1950, Kenny. Tell me about what were you doing? Well, I was a
0: bat boy, I was just so glad that they had that. And it was because I, I had heard about Kenny it Bush, was so, I never it was saw through Kenny Bush what he looked like or what he talked like. So to see that was awesome. And then Pete Sarah was he's the guy for me in the 93 team photo who's wearing the Coke bottle glasses. So I was mm-hmm. wondering, like, who is that guy? And there he was. I love Pete Sarah. Pete, Pete Sarah did the long. So yeah, I, I appreciate it. As Pete, odd as that was, it was like it was neat to be able to see these two people that I never was able to see before. What Kenny Bush was a character,
2: man. Ooh. What did we, what did we learn was the best thing about all of this for Ramona Vilas?
1: He bought, I'm going to buy a house and stay in Philadelphia. The rest he of my bought life. a house. He, That's all, all maybe, he wanted. George, he wanted to, oh, well, thank you so much. Cause now I can buy a house. And the funny part is that Ramona Vilas really kind of lived up to that because he worked for the Phillies a long time after his career was over managing many different places and I did not realize this Ramon Villas just oh, died wow. in January um okay. so but I covered he, he his, worked uh, for the Phillies for a long time I covered
2: his nephew Micah Villas with the Red Sox I didn't
1: know that was his nephew I
2: really no did. I didn't either until I looked it up last night I was like huh, oh, I wonder if they're a, related he was a
1: really good guy who, he, who really lived up to that staying in Philadelphia so you
0: Bob you asked us last week who was the star of the game so we'll do that this week again and Game five, NLCS nineteen eighty. Uh, who's the star of the game, Bob? Uh,
1: wow, that's a tough one because there were so many stars of that game. Um you know what? I'm gonna go with Dick Ruth from finishing off those one, two, three, four, five, six. And you know, he, he brought Calm to to a storm. So those were the six biggest outs of his career and of uh, and of Philly's history at that time and you know the one one other thing that I've always hated and I love to mention is whenever I love Ken Burns baseball I watch them every time they're on MLB network but I've always hated that there, there was nothing charming about the Phillies the long drought that finally ended in 1980 but there there was so much charm it just never gets mentioned in those things and that's always bothered me but anyway Dick Ruthven, go ahead got and don't forget to remind them. April, April 21st.
2: 21st, the Big 50, Philadelphia Phillies. You can read so much more about this. In fact, this, this uh, NLCS has its own chapter. Uh, the, um, I know McCarver went with Bob Boone, and that's a compelling uh, – I'm, I'm tempted to do it, but uh, you got to go with Manny Trio. I mean, between the triple, uh, the throw, um, he had four hits in the game three hits in the game uh trio to me is the start of the game has to be and
0: i will go del Unser just because you picked up mike schmidt twice and especially in that um in in the seventh the eighth inning just to be able to watch mike schmidt strike out and then cross his path on the way to the batter's box and get a hit for you know you're being a guy that came off the bench and he's the star player was just pretty awesome Just, just a great game and uh I, I know you guys heard a lot about the tickets were going on sale the next morning, and fifteen dollars. Yeah, they kept piping right? that up, and I, I so I read the next day's daily news, and it was like absolute mayhem. It had if you remember the vet, they had the ticket window on street level, so not above the ramps. You had to go; it was almost underground, underneath those tunnels. And there was thousands of people there. The police had to come, and people left on stretchers. Like they said, it looked like a battlefield. It was just gruesome. The, uh, the best. Thank God for StubHub and the... online buying tickets online. The other, the
2: other great thing about Game Five is of this series is there's an awesome companion game to watch with it, and uh, you know it was this game's three and a half hours, so I didn't have time to watch them both. But Game Four, almost as good. It's the game where Rose runs over Bochi and the Phillies come back late again. In game four, again, they're facing elimination in game four. They have to win game four to get to game five. So games four and five of the NLCS uh, of 1980 are unbelievable to watch together. And I was talking to Dickie Knowles uh, recently and he was telling me about how a couple of years ago he had kind of a knee replacement or I believe it was a knee plate, maybe a hip plate. He had he had a procedure where he was um, at home for a while, and he rewatched. He said the entire series, the entire eighty NLCS, just to make sure that it happened <laughs> the way he remembered it. And he said it was every bit as good as he thought it was when he was living through it. So
1: you made the point about the filler story that was in there in the Courier Post, I think. Uh, but there was one in the Inquirer uh, from Dick Young. Uh, did you read? Did either guys read that? I did not. He, Dick Young had decided that, who, that the Kansas City Royals would beat whoever. It didn't really matter who they played in the National League Championship Series because the Kansas City Royals were just going to, to beat them up badly because the National League no longer knew how to play the game of baseball based on what he was watching wow. in the NLCS. Wow. it
2: was
0: they some pulled, really weird uh, column during the workout day for, before game one. They asked all these national baseball writers that were in town, Peter Gammons, Dick Young, Rick Hummel. And there was like 10 of them, and only Rick Hummel from St. Louis is the only guy that picked the Phillies. Everybody else picked Kansas City.
2: National League through and yeah. through.
0: That's right, and Rick Hummel awesome. is a great man. Well, thanks a lot for listening to the greatest podcast about the greatest Phillies game of all time. Until next time, I'm Matt Breen for Scott Lauber and Bob Brookover. This is Extra Innings, a Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can read our work at inquire.com and subscribe to our newsletter, Extra Innings. Thanks for listening.